They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. I almost started by saying wow again, but I stopped myself right before I did it <laughs> to, keep, job. to keep it fresh. Every every week, you don't know how we're going to start. We don't know how we're going to start. No one knows how the episode's going to start. <laughs> uh, this week, though, we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about books. Elliot, we're both we're both we're we're learned men. We're educated individuals. We enjoy a brief uh broach into the literature the literary world I was trying to get the words straight uh so elliot are you are you reading any interesting books right now that you'd like to tell our our listening audience about nathan i'm so glad you asked and how natural and just out, out of pocket this is it, it's funny you should ask because i actually have the book i'm reading Whoa. right here uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading Marcel Proust's six, well, depending on the translation that you get, six or seven volume masterwork in search of lost time. I had never heard of this until, I can't even remember how I got onto it. I, I know that I, I saw its name somewhere and then I Googled it and got interested in it. I can't remember where I saw its name, but it's a French novel uh, from the early 1900s, uh, it's considered to be one of the defining novels of the 20th century. It's had a huge influence on literature, on writers, on all kinds of things. It's a it's a big deal, basically. And I am uh, a bit of a literature guy. Uh, I'm a man of words, of the written word. So I decided I would – I got my first ever box set of all six volumes. My translation is six volumes of In Search of Lost Time. The spines of the books, when you put them together, they form a little Whoa. picture. Uh, yeah, so I got that, and, I'm, and I've started reading it. It's very good. Like I was saying to Nathan earlier – not not when I like I was saying to Nathan earlier because, of course, this just sort of happened spontaneously. <laughs> it's very evocative. Proust is a good writer. It's translated very well. I'm enjoying it a lot. And we here at Magellan's at the Movies are big advocates for reading. Read, ladies oh, and gentlemen. It's good absolutely. for the mind, good for the imagination. Make sure you read a good book. Yeah, absolutely. I support reading. I, myself, am reading a book currently, a Pulitzer Prize winning book, actually. Didn't know this. Uh, called Summer for the Gods, about the Scopes monkey trial when a teacher was arrested for teaching evolution in a public school, and then the trial became a very large... As it turns out, the trial was always going to become, because it was a <laughs> setup by uh, the American Civil Liberties Union. But really interesting book. I think I agree with Elliot. Everyone should read. Everyone should watch movies. These are the two things we're trying to advocate for here on this podcast is the reading of books and the watching of movies. And, and if you'll cast your mind back to the Barbie episode, we also advocate for the career and success of Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I really thought you were going to say for people going to the gynecologist, because we did advocate for that in the Barbie episode as well. And that. We also advocate for that. And for the SAG-AFTRA, the writers' union, actors' union okay. strikes, we also advocate for <laughs> we that. Don't, we don't have to go down the whole list. <laughs> I mean, for the, the, top, the top things, these are secondary things. The top things are reading books and watching movies. Speaking of watching movies, we watched a movie this week. 
Elliot, what what was the movie? Give us the rundown. Give us the the tidbits we need in order to jump into this review. Yep. So uh, today we are talking about Training Day. It's a 2001 crime thriller movie directed by Antoine Fuqua, or possibly F- I'm not sure how it's pronounced. I don't want to like accidentally say a bad word <laughs> by going through all the permutations of his last name. But anyway. It netted Denzel Washington a best Oscar, a best Oscar, an Oscar for best actor or best supporting actor. Best lead actor. actor, Yeah. Best lead actor. It also stars Ethan Hawke. It follows Ethan Hawke, who is sort of the, I don't know. They're both main characters. Uh, A LA policeman, police officer who wants to join a non-traditional unit of narcotics investigators led by Denzel Washington, whose name in this is Alonzo Harris, uh, Ethan Hawke playing Jake Hoyt. And so the film follows uh, Jake as he is on his training day with Alonzo Harris making stops, showing him the ropes, basically, of how he runs his unit and the things that he's doing, but also it's about the tense shifting dynamics of their relationship as more is revealed about who Alonzo Harris is and the kind of man that he is and uh, what he wants from Jake Hoyt. So yeah, I saw this movie a while ago for the first time. This is the second time I've watched it. I watched it for the first time because I love Denzel Washington. He's Probably my favorite working actor. Uh, He's definitely one of my favorite actors, period. And I remembered really enjoying it. And then I never watched it again. And then I just decided it would be a neat thing to watch it again this time and to have Nathan watch it for the first time. So let's start, Nathan, with your thoughts. Give Give us the rundown on Training Day as viewed by Nathan Magellan. Yeah, so uh, I guess I didn't have too many expectations kind of going into this movie. I had heard of it, obviously. I think it's a fairly well-regarded film. Uh, It wasn't, from what I can see, it doesn't seem like it was necessarily hugely critically lauded. It was only nominated in the two acting categories, Ethan Hawke for supporting, even though he's clearly the main character. And then Denzel in the lead, I guess, because they thought he had a better chance of winning or something. That's usually why they sift things around like that. But I had heard of this movie. I was kind of familiar with the idea and the vibe of the movie. And I would say the movie lived up to whatever meager expectations I had kind of going in. I wasn't blown away really by anything. But at the same time, it lived up to what I kind of assumed it was going to be, which was a a moderately exciting action sort of thriller with some neat dialogue, some good acting, some interesting cinematography choices. It was the early 2000s. We were going through some stuff when it came to the camera. But yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of interested to see this because it sounds like, Elliot, you enjoyed this quite a bit when you first watched it. I'm interested to see if you still liked it. And I'm interested to hear kind of your thought. It feels like you might have a different sort of reading on the movie from me. So um, what are what are your sort of initial thoughts on this second viewing as seen by Elliot uh, Magellan? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would say that I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't think that I enjoyed it quite as much as I did the first time. Um, this time around, I noticed some, just some, some problems with character development. And like you said, there are some interesting choices being made behind the camera in terms of the saturation of the colors and the dutchness of the (laughs) angles, which is pretty aggressive at times. But on the whole, I thought I was, I was very pleased with it. I thought that it was a, I didn't think that it was incredible or like a masterpiece or anything, but I thought it was a really solid, well done crime thriller movie with a compelling and engaging central dynamic between two 
interesting characters played by two great actors who play really well off of each other. And it had some really good tense scene construction at times. I'm not crazy about the ending. And there are some some quibbles I have with Alonzo's character that we'll get into. But uh, on the whole, yeah, I would say I would I would say, yeah, good stuff. It's a movie that I am planning. I I think I'll probably watch again sometime when I'm just looking for something, something simple and clean and good. Sure. Well, I think let's dive in then on the positive end and let's talk about the acting. Obviously the kind of star of the show is Denzel Washington somewhat playing against his, you can correct me on this because you've seen way more Denzel Washington movies but from my understanding, this is his only or one of his few villain roles or roles where he's, I mean, he's the villain in Macbeth because Macbeth is the villain. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, is that correct that this is pretty much his only sort of villain-esque or one of his few villain roles? Yeah, he might be playing like against typical role here. I don't think he's playing against type mm. because he's still playing like a charming, charismatic, smooth talking man's man like Denzel usually does. Yeah, well, and so, you know, you can talk about I think obviously I'll leave the praising of Denzel to you. I think he's very talented. I think he does a very good job in this movie of being a very, like you said, charismatic man's man, you can kind of see why Ethan Hawke's character would kind of get suckered in by someone that he's fast talking enough that you kind of think, yeah, he's figured things out. I should listen to him. Uh, so I'm going to just go out of my way to praise Ethan Hawke. I think he did a great job. I would consider this not super against type. I guess I've mostly just seen him in like, uh, romance movies. He's in the Before trilogy as the male romantic lead in that film. So this is obviously a different vibe from those films. But I thought he did a really great job. I think he did, I think his character has a very neat sort of arc in terms of him. He starts out the day, it almost felt like I was watching The Raid again when I once again started with a guy <laughs> talking to his wife before a tough day on a job as a cop. <laughs> but I thought he did a very good job of doing Jack's kind of character arc as he becomes kind of more and as he continues having a harder and harder day until he eventually, I don't think he really snaps near the end, but you can see sort of a progression of him becoming more and more disillusioned with this thing that he was very excited for at the beginning of the day. and. Yeah, so I think the acting is very good. Uh, also, Snoop Dogg shows up as, I don't know if you recognized him, but he's the guy in the wheelchair. That's world-famous rapper Snoop Dogg. And I thought he did a way better job than I expected him to do because I've seen him in interviews and stuff, and he does not strike me as the kind of person who would be able to act. And he does a great job. And then Dr. Dre showed up as well, and he did a pretty good job as well which I just thought was interesting. I don't know. Did you recognize either of those guys? I recognized Snoop Dogg. I didn't recognize Dr. Dre because Dr. Dre doesn't look as distinct as Snoop yeah. Dogg. Yeah, that's whatever, man. <laughs> I guess Antoine is just a fan. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that the acting is immaculate in this movie and i think that it does probably elevate the material to beyond what maybe the writing merits of the material would justify because it's not like it's poorly written it's very well written but it's incredibly well acted i also like ethan hawk i think he's great in this movie but i i would absolutely say that denzel is the star of the show here and this is one of the things that I thought was more rewarding on a rewatch is, so if you didn't know, Alonzo is very much a manipulator. Uh, that's his character. Like he's, he's scheming. He's trying to basically get Jake to do things for him to like kind of cover him while he legally cover him while he gets money that he needs because that he owes to the Russian mob. 
And rewatching it, there were a lot of times where I was able to pick out like moments where Alonzo was thinking on his feet, like trying to get Jake to do something and Jake was kind of resisting. And so he switched tactics. Like when he wants him, there's this point in the car where he wants him to do some drugs and it's revealed eventually that he wanted him to do that because having drugs in his system gives him like a blackmail card against Jake. It gives Alonzo blackmail material against Jake. But at the moment, Jake is refusing. And so finally, Alonzo stops. He switches tactics and says, like, oh, this was a test. And, like, if you refused drugs from a dealer on the street, they would instantly peg you as a cop and you'd be dead. And, yeah, I just thought that it's a combination. It's a marriage of the writing and Denzel's acting that makes it so effective. And... Uh, the other moment, well, there were other moments that I noticed about that, but another moment that I noticed that I was really impressed with Denzel's acting is at the very end when Jake confronts Alonzo and Alonzo like starts to get mad, saying, like, you'll never get away with this. I'm the I'm I'm the guy, you can't do this. But Denzel is playing it so perfectly that you can tell it's really motivated by fear. Like Alonzo is finally getting a bit scared. And so he's starting to lash out, starting to get a bit unraveled, a bit less sure of himself than he usually is. And yeah, Denzel is just, he's such a great actor. I love him so much. And he's doing, he's, he's earning that Oscar 100% in this, with this performance. Yeah, I agree. And I think because you mentioned it a few times, I think the script of this movie is decent. It's cle- I think the story construction is very good. There's more than a few moments of setup and payoff that even took me kind of by surprise. For instance, when Jake is captured by the Mexicans and they the one guy pulls out his wallet and it's the wallet that he took from this woman that he saved earlier in the film and she had already kind of said like oh her cousin is in a gang and her cousin's a gang member and so it was a really great i i don't know if i made an audible noise but i definitely sat up in my chair like oh shoot that's how he's gonna get out of this like it was a very neat moment for me and then even since i've watched the movie which was not that long ago but kind of thinking through some things you can see the moments that elliot you're talking about of alonzo setting up Jake for the things that he wants him to do later on, that he's manipulating him to get him to do this next thing. And it's only kind of clear on rewatch or looking back that you're like, Oh, that's why he did. This is to push his button. So he would do this. And so I think the story construction is very good and is a very good concentrated sort of story. There's not a lot of, there's not a ton of kind of missing pieces. I think where the story falls apart a bit or the script is in the actual minute to minute dialogue that just can sometimes veer very corny and cliche, or at least it felt very cliche to me, especially stuff like the wolves and sheeps thing. I'm like, please what? And maybe that's just the way some people talk, but it, felt kind of corny to me also this is not necessarily a critique but this is the same guy i'm pretty sure didn't he help write batman v superman didn't david ayer do that or am i thinking of someone else i think you're thinking of someone else because david ayer directed suicide Mm. squad see i for a second i thought he had written batman v superman so when Ethan is in the tub and he's like, I have a daughter too. I really thought that he was just like ripping off himself with the whole Martha thing. <laughs> but no, maybe Zach just saw that and decided to run with it. But, and I don't think that's a bad because mo- I don't think the guy changes his mind just because he says that he has a daughter. Uh, I think he was always kind of getting ready to change his mind because of the wallet. But I do think the story, good. The script, not fantastic all the time. I can definitely see that. I can see why some of the lines would come across as, like, try-hard edginess. I think that, at least in the case of the wolves and sheep thing, 
that to me is the kind of thing that someone like Alonzo would say, somebody who doesn't have a lot of self-awareness and is like drunk off his own power, very much toxically masculine. I think that that's something that's something that he would at least think. Maybe he wouldn't express it like that, but I thought that that made sense to me in in his in the context of his character. And again, it played into another moment where I enjoyed seeing how Alonzo was manipulating Jake because it comes after he was upset that they let the guys who were attacking the girl go, the girl who would eventually save his life in the bathtub when he's captured by the Mexicans. And Alonzo is picking up on this. And so he kind of switches tactics again. And he starts saying like, that was really good. You did something good. You're making real mm. change. This is what we're about here on yeah. the street is we're making these big changes. And so I thought that was a really good moment of demonstrating how Alonzo is getting into Jake's head. Yeah, that's true. That is a, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's kind of, those were the big two kind of positives. So do you have any other big positives before we start moving towards talking about some of, some of the negatives we might have? I do. I also think that there is really good scene construction in the, this movie that lends itself to very tense scenes. I'm thinking specifically of, so Alonzo has this friend who's a drug dealer who's very well off, well, who's made a lot of money dealing drugs. And so his eventual plan, how he's going to get the money to pay off the Russian mafia, is he's going to rip off this friend of his and kill him and then make it seem, stage it to seem like the friend had attacked them first and have Jake be the one who shot the friend so that he's legally covered and he's got Jake covering for him because he's blackmailing him. So they get in there and they capture the friend and Alonzo is telling Jake to shoot the friend. I can't remember his name, but he's played by the guy who plays uh, the captain of the Dallas in Hunt for Red October and Jack Crawford in Silence of the Lambs. So I'm just going to call him Jack Crawford. So Alonzo is telling Jake to kill Jack Crawford. Jake is resisting because he doesn't quite think that he's serious. And so... Alonzo takes the shotgun and shoots Jack himself. And then he's like, this is this is what we're going to do. You were the one who shot him. You're going to take credit for this. And all of my guys who are also here, the rest of his unit, are going to back me up on this. It's going to be our word against yours. You've got drugs in your system, so you have to take the fall for this. And then Jake grabs the shotgun out of his hands and points it at Alonzo. And he's like, it, it was a, a pretty cool line, I thought, what that asserted this more aggressive character for Jake when he said, that's the second time you've pointed a gun at me, there will not be a third. And I just thought it was a really good, tense scene where the rest of Alonzo's unit wants to shoot Jake, but Alonzo thinks he can bring Jake into the fold still. Or maybe he just doesn't want to deal with having to kill them because he's a manipulator. So he's like, trying to talk Jake down. He's telling him all these things that are working against him. Like he's got the drugs in his system and he's got the word of five respected police officers against him. And I just thought it was really well done, well-constructed scene that it showed the shifting dynamics between them. Like Jake was getting a little less scared and he was getting a little more assertive. He was starting to realize his position here and Alonzo was starting to realize also that Jake was going to be a real problem, that he couldn't just sort of blackmail and bully into submission. And the Dutch angles are very Dutch, but I did think that they weren't terrible here because it was trying to communicate that sense of unbalance and of tension. And yeah, it's just a really good scene. And the same thing when Jake is in the house with the Mexican gang when he like starts to realize that Alonzo has abandoned him and he's going to he's going to have to figure something out it's just a really good well-constructed scene that legitimately made me feel tense and invested even on rewatch yeah I definitely agree with that the scene in the house with the Mexicans I think 
That scene was very good. That was definitely the point in the movie when I was getting more invested. I think for the kind of the first half of the movie, I was, it was nothing that was incredibly interesting or surprising to me. It was a lot of like, yeah, he's a dirtbag. He's kind of a dirty cop. He's going around just randomly violating people's civil rights. <laughs> but that was the scene, or at least post the scene where they kill Scott Glenn's character, who I believe is named Roger in this movie, Elliot. After that scene, I was like, oh, shoot, this is like, there's still an hour or so left. And this is, uh, it showed a very distinct change for Jake that he's being more aggressive. He's being more assertive. He's kind of stopped being, in my opinion, a bit of a moron. How many times do you have to see this cop like clearly break the law before you're like, hey, I think there's something up with this guy. And then the scene with the Mexicans, I thought was very tense. I also think it didn't drag it out. Like as soon as it was kind of all the cards were on the table and it was clear, uh, like they're what playing the... poker. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, but like once it was clear that he was kind of right up the river without a paddle, the movie doesn't, spend a ton of time trying to draw out the tension, which can sometimes happen. Elliot, I know you dislike Inglorious Bastards because it has a tendency to kind of establish the tension of the scene and then draw it out for a very, very long time. And I think this movie did a really good job of establishing the tension and then knowing that, you know, it can't sit on that forever. As soon as it was clear that Jake was going to be in trouble, Jake took action to try and escape. It didn't go well, but eventually he got out. So I, I agree. I think those scenes are very good and are very, you know, exciting scenes to watch. They were probably my favorite scenes in the movie, to be honest. Also, in that scene, we had playing one of the gangsters, Tuco Salamanca from Breaking Bad, yes. playing basically Tuco Salamanca. <laughs> yeah. Although I think that this yeah. movie, doesn't this movie predate Breaking Bad? So actually it would just be kind of coincidence that he would end up playing a similar character on that show. I'm pretty sure this one, because 2001 Breaking Bad didn't start until like 2006 or seven. I want to say 2008. That was close. Anyway, now I want to talk about, though, some of kind of the negatives. Like I already said, the first half of this movie is not as good or interesting as the second half. A part of that is because a lot of it is just set up for the things that will come later. But another part of it is I was genuinely getting kind of frustrated with Ethan Hawke's character because it did feel like... Alonzo kept pushing the envelope past, in my mind, where a rational human would, like, let them. Like, once he's got you smoking PCP or whatever, surely post that, as soon as you sober up, you're like, wait, this is not go, like, this is not what we want to be doing. And so, I, and it felt kind of like the first half maybe had more scenes than was necessary than was necessary to kind of establish the rapport between Alonzo and Jake and establish who Alonzo kind of was. I, I mean, I kind of understand some of it, that there has to be a progression of like going from just accosting the college students who bought whatever they bought and, you know, taking their stuff, which I guess he needed to have him to smoke it. But it, it's still, the first half is not as interesting and it feels it felt kind of like I was waiting for the movie to start to get to the point, which once it did, I was invested and was much more excited about the movie. But the first half just feels like the pace is a little uh, languid. It's kind of moving a little slowly. I don't know. Maybe I didn't really get that sense. I don't have any reason to not have that sense other than I just didn't really get that feeling. I I guess I was just kind of along for the ride, like just enjoying the rapport and the acting. And 
I mean, this is, I, I've talked a few times about this movie being rewarding to rewatch, and I think maybe that might have contributed to my being willing to let that go in the first half, that I was just enjoying seeing the moments where Alonzo was pulling one over on Jake. Uh, I don't think it's a huge deal. My issue, it's not a huge issue, but my thing is that in terms of Alonzo's character, and this is one of the things that actually I think the movie suffers from on rewatch, is that my sense of the first half of the movie is that it's trying to make Alonzo seem more complicated than he actually is, by which I mean mm. it's trying to keep you guessing as to whether Alonzo is a good guy or a bad guy because he's doing these bad things. He's violating people's civil rights, obviously, but he's also talking about like wanting to do good. And this is what you have to do. Like the restrictions will just restrict you. You have to, this is what you have to do to actually make a difference. And I've got all of these arrests and saved all of these lives because of my methods. And like, he's got this trunk full of stuff that he claims he gives to informants families to help them out. So it felt like the movie was trying to keep you guessing as to whether or not he was ultimately going to be a good guy or a bad guy and kind of setting up a conflict between like doing what you have to do to get things done or operating within the bounds of the law. But the problem is that when Alonzo is ultimately revealed to be a fairly straightforward out for himself bad guy, you kind of lose all of that potential for more interesting, complex issues and character dynamics, and it makes it seem a bit more like just kind of the movie giving you an intentional red herring. Yeah, I kind of get that sense as well. That, And I had even seen things that almost referred to Alonzo's eventual, like, more clearly villain turn as a twist, which I don't see how... It's I had no doubt that he was going to shoot Scott Glenn's character. Like, as soon as he suggested it or said, like, maybe I should shoot you, I'm like, oh, he's for sure going to shoot him. Like, there's no possible way that this character is surviving this scene. So I... Yeah, I think that's true. I think, and that probably contributes to my uh, lack of enjoyment of the first half, that it feels like it's trying to set up something more complicated than what it eventually would be. That because I kind of knew that Denzel was the villain and was just a selfish dirtbag, all of the times that he was trying to explain stuff, I'm like, he's just lying. Like, he's just making things up. Or, like, he's not... He doesn't actually believe that. So, you know, it doesn't matter that much. He's kind of trying to convince Jake of it, I guess. But it wasn't very convincing. I didn't find it very convincing. And I was kind of baffled as to how Jake could possibly be finding it very convincing because he seemed like a fairly straight-laced sort of cop at the beginning of the movie. It was kind of, um, again, unbelievable to me that he kept that he would buy this sort of ridiculous ends justify the means sort of argument that Alonzo was trying to peddle to him. Yeah, I I didn't find that an issue so much. I guess I just, I was more willing to buy the idea that Jake was a wide-eyed, fresh-faced rookie who was really, who really wanted to, idealistic kind of rookie who really wanted to get into this unit that he had heard was making such a big difference and was willing to accept Alonzo's authority because he was such an authoritative figure. I don't think it's a huge deal. I have another issue, again, not a huge issue, but another issue that I'd like to talk about if you're ready to move on. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So... I want to talk about the ending, because I I don't love this movie's ending. No, me neither. The whole movie has been setting up a, like, intellectual and ideological conflict between Jake 
and Alonzo. And so for it then to culminate in a physical confrontation, I was kind of disappointed with. And also, it just felt a little bit silly. Like, they have a fight. Denzel, for some reason, decides he's not going to kill Jake. And so he just takes the money. He he has Jake on the ropes. He doesn't take his advantage. All right, fine. He takes the money, gets in his car, starts to drive away. Jake jumps onto the car. <laughs> they crash. They have a bit more of a fight. Jake gets the upper hand. Alonzo is finally defeated. And he's like begging for the money. He's like, you're not going to shoot me. Even though you've got a gun on me and I'm unarmed, I'm just going to take my money and leave. He bends over to pick up his money. Jake shoots him in the butt. And his reaction is just kind of goofy. Like, he, it's too sweary for me to quote. But he's basically like, I can't believe you did that. You shot me in the butt. And I was like, this feels like it's from a very different, less serious movie. Less serious movie. Yeah, well, I, I wrote in my notes, the end feels really corny, and the whole, like, the community showing up, and then, like, kind of siding with Jake felt like one of those, you know, movies set in New York, where New York shows up, and they're like, hey, you can't hurt him, he's from New York! Like, it, it felt really goofy and corny, and it was way too drawn out. Like eventually the people just walked over and were like, hey, we've got a gun. We're like, you can go away. Jake, it's fine. I'm like, why did you wait? So why did you wait for Denzel to monologue for like six minutes before you were like, hey, JK, you can actually leave. And and you already mentioned how the movie seems to be setting up a final philosophical sort of crossroads that then Jake never has to kind of grapple with because he doesn't even, I, I feel like if he had done anything, it would have been an answer to the question. Like if he shoots Alonzo, then he's kind of siding with Alonzo that sometimes you have to kind of exist outside the law in order to enforce the law. If he arrested Alonzo, then he would be asserting that, no, you need to right, do things by the book. Even if the system isn't perfect, we have to trust it and is, much as we you know are able to but instead he does nothing like he just goes home and then they have Alonzo getting shot which felt weird because again we've spent the entire movie with Jake and this is I'm pretty sure the only scene that doesn't have Jake in it and so it feels like a very like unnecessary. I feel like it would have been a lot better if you cut that scene and just have Jake coming home. And then you can still have the kind of uh, voiceover news people saying like, oh, this, you know, big LAPD cop was found shot and we think it might be the Russian. Like, I don't need to be shown that. I can guess what the Russian shooting a guy who owes them money looks like I've seen that scene before. And I, I, yeah. And so I think the ending was really weak and it doesn't feel like the ending that the movie was really setting up or kind of heading towards, especially with the beginning half of the film that is setting up kind of these ideological differences. And then the back half of the movie is much more of just a basic action thriller thing, which it, it Again, it does very well. Like we've already said, some of those scenes are very tense and very exciting. But it does feel make the movie feel somewhat disjointed. And then it doesn't even land on that great of a note, in my opinion. I think I maybe like dislike the ending more than you, but yeah. Yeah, probably. I think that it's definitely a bit drawn out. Like there are kind of three different stages to the ending of the fight, the first fight, second fight argument and then the resolution where and yeah it felt almost like a reshoot like they had been planning to have a more definitive end for Alonzo's character right then and there but then they decided they didn't want it and so I always dislike it when movies that have questions at their heart or like conflicts at their heart give their characters an out like the most Enduring example of this is Hero spares the villain who's already defeated, and then the villain attacks them again so the hero can kill the villain but still have the moral high ground. I I I really <laughs> dislike it when movies do that because it is so it is such a cop-out. 
joke because this is a movie about cops. Yeah, I think I actually didn't realize some of the things that you were talking about, but I do agree that it probably would have been better and more satisfying if he had arrested Alonzo at that point. It would have made more sense because, like, is what's he going to do with the money? He's just going to give it to the police and then, like, what? <laughs> Say, like, <laughs> here's the money. Is he going to tell them all about what's happened? Are they going to believe him? I don't know. And it is it is kind of weird that Alonzo's character, that this relationship that the movie's been built on culminates in two separate endings. It feels like the relationship, Alonzo's character, and Jake's character all should have ended at the same time. They all should have been resolved yeah. at the same time. I think that I think you're right. That would have been a lot better. I don't hate the ending. I get the sense that you dislike the ending. I don't know about hating it. Yeah, it's not like huge. It's definitely enough that it will affect my ultimate grade. Yeah. Well, and see, my whole thing with movies is kind of like I want the entire movie to be to form a very cohesive whole. And the ending just feels like it bumbles every possible like setup that it's had, which is frustrating in a movie that, like I've already said, has a lot of very good examples of innocuous kind of scenes at the beginning being important as the movie goes on. And yet the finale, it doesn't feel like there's any resolution. It's kind of one of the most frustrating things about indie art house sort of movies for me is a lot of times the directors just end it. And I'm like, that's not an ending. Like, an ending should be a definitive final statement from your film that's capping the idea you want to leave the audience with. And sometimes it feels like the idea that they want me to leave with is I had no idea how to end this movie. So here's some random nonsense, which I don't think necessarily applies that much to this movie, but it does feel like they don't commit to an ending. And instead they just go with, Let's make it ambiguous. He'll go home with the money. What'll happen? You don't know. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really care because you haven't given me a good reason to care. Yeah. Nathan, you've talked several times before. I don't know if you've talked about it on this podcast before, but you've talked to me several times before about seeing a difference between ambiguous endings and non-endings. And I think that that's a really good and salient distinction to identify because like an ambiguous ending when you say ambiguous ending i think of now i'm not gonna be able to think of something <laughs> nathan think of a inception movie with an ambiguous is the inception is an ambiguous when you say non-ending yeah. i think of the farewell from 2019 that's a non-ending sure and i would say yes. that this movie doesn't really have i wouldn't say that this movie arrives at a non-ending, but it's more on the non-ending side than it is on the ambiguous or just the definitive ending side. Yeah, I'd probably put it like firmly, it feels like a non-ending to me. It feels like the movie is done, but it doesn't feel like the story has like reached the point where it's finished. Yeah, that's yeah. Fair. I'm trying to think of other, a, a lot of non-endings are like obscure movies that will very will not help elucidate this point very much unless like the Florida project has a non-ending. Oh shoot. What's its name? The it's another Ethan Hawke movie, the environmental one first reformed that has a non-ending in my opinion. Yeah. So if you've seen those movies, that's kind of the <laughs> idea that I'm talking about. <laughs> if you haven't, it's just an ending that doesn't, it doesn't finish the, the movie, thought that the movie yeah. started, which is what my... The movie is. stops. It doesn't end. Yes. Yeah. So you can... Yeah, you have... Well, it's your thing, Nathan. So you can give people permission to take that into their day-to-day -day film discourse and act really smart. Yeah, absolutely. Please bring it up more often so that I can stop seeing these stupid non-ending movies. Maybe if we get it into the public <laughs> lexicon, directors will stop doing it. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, be the change that you want to see in the world. Exactly. Do you have any other final thoughts? I feel like I've said uh, pretty much everything I want to say here about this movie. Yeah, 
I, I'm pretty satisfied as well. I, I don't think there's a whole lot to write home about in terms of the technical elements, except for when the Dutch angles get a very egregious. And also, I don't like movies that mess around with color saturation. Like Zack Snyder desaturates his colors. Some movies like this one really oversaturate them, and it just looks weird. Or like, do the right thing. The colors in that movie are just, they just make my eyeballs bleed. And I really don't like it. I just, just have a consistent, normal color palette and stick with it. So I don't like it when movies do that. But it's not like a huge deal here. It doesn't bother me in this movie as much as it does in Do the Right Thing. There's not a lot of music. And the music that is there is kind of generic cop movie music. I don't know how to describe it other than that. Yeah, yeah I agree. The, uh, I guess the only thing I would say is that it's that cinematography does a decent job of keeping it uh, visually interesting. Even though a lot of the movie is just talking, they find new ways to film almost every scene of the two characters just talking in their car. Sometimes it's come from over the shoulder. Sometimes it's from the front. Sometimes it's from the side, which I appreciate just because it keeps it from being just a huge monotonous slog of shot reverse shot in the same exact way. Um, so it's not a huge thing. Like you don't really get points for that. Cause that's just doing above the bare minimum, but it's something that I noticed and appreciated. Well, let's uh, let's do some ratings. I'll go first. Um, despite my problems with this movie, and there are problems with the movie that do keep it from higher grades, I still think this is a really strong, simple, good movie featuring fantastic performances, an engaging, compelling central dynamic, um, a conflict that unfortunately isn't really brought home in the best of ways, but... The conflict that is there is good enough. The dialogue, the acting is good enough. The scene construction is good enough to keep this movie well in the good side of the rating scale. So I'm going to give it a strong B. Well, I think I definitely dislike this movie more than you then. Uh, I like parts of this. Like I already said, I really like the scenes of kind of tension and excitement that happen in the back half of the movie. I think the performances are really good. Some of the dialogue is very good and the story construction is very satisfying to see the setup and payoff. But unfortunately there's ultimately not much of a payoff in the end. Uh, and I feel like that's going to be the kind of thing that would keep me from rewatching a movie like this, just knowing that it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh so I, I'm going to give it a 6.6 out of 10 at the end of the day. It's not a terrible movie, but it's not, like, great. Well, there you go. Let's talk about some great movies, or at least some movies that we think are good enough to warrant a recommendation for this. Uh, I'll go first again. My recommendation for this is Collateral, Michael Mann's movie uh, about a taxi driver who picks up what eventually is, who eventually is revealed to be a hitman and is forced to take him, to drive him around in Los Angeles to the different stops where he's killing people. Uh, so it fit, it features a tense central dynamic between two characters with shifting levels of power in it. Uh, Tom Cruise plays the hitman. He is playing against type as this more villainous character. Jamie Foxx plays the <clears throat> the taxi driver, they both do a great job. I like the dialogue. I like the way they play off of each other. I like the, I like watching the tense, shifting power levels in their relationship. It's, uh, yeah, it's another really good, clean, simple, unpretentious crime thriller movie that I would highly recommend if you liked Training Day for the central conflict between two characters, both of whom are very ideologically different, and if you want something with a bit more of a resolution. Definitely. I can definitely second that recommendation. I really, I actually was kind of surprised by how much I enjoyed that movie, and then looking back, I wouldn't be against re-watching that movie, because it was, it was a very good film. Uh, my recommendation is maybe in a little bit of a different direction, 
In the early 70s, there was a lot of gritty crime dramas about how cops needed more, you know, power to be able to do whatever they wanted. Illegal things? Yeah, illegal things. But it was a widespread kind of genre. Dirty Harry is in this genre. My favorite of this genre is going to be what I'm recommending for this movie, which is another kind of gritty cop drama about ideological philosophies in copying. Uh, And that's going to be the best picture winner from, I want to say it was 1971, The French Connection. Uh, Rest in peace, William Friedkin, who directed this film. It features one of the most iconic chase scenes in film history where William Friedkin got in the back of a car with a camera and just drove in the completely unregulated streets of New York and filmed the entire thing. I think he ended up having to pay a whole bunch of fines and pay a bunch of people who he hit while filming it. But it's bonkers. It's a bonkers chase scene. The movie is very good. Gene Hackman. And I can't remember who the other guy is, but they play partners who are working to try and do this big drug bust. And it's all the classic gritty crime drama stuff that you love to see. Very well done. The finale is fantastic. It's a very tense, exciting shootout sort of thing. Very good movie. Very cool. Uh, One of the better Best Picture winners, if I'm being honest. And that's going to be my recommendation. So you can watch a movie from the 70s and feel cool and hip for having seen, you know, a dope movie. (laughs) Okay, that kind of fell apart at the end. Uh, I have not seen this movie. It is on my list. I just haven't gotten around to it yet, so I can't speak to that recommendation. I've heard nothing but good things about it. Um, One thing that I have heard nothing but bad things about is life, (laughs) which is hard and full of disappointments. It's truly, truly absurd. Uh, I don't why quite why I put up with it. I I'll never be able to say, but life is hard and full of disappointments. Let's all remember that. I also wanted to note that William Friedkin's last movie. I don't I can't remember what it's called, but the movie that is the Cain Mutiny. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Court of the Cain Mutiny. Yeah, uh, that uh, that is being released posthumously has been getting a lot of strong buzz. If you remember from. Our Oppenheimer review, I mentioned enjoying Jason Clark as an actor and feeling like he doesn't get a lot of hype around him, but he's playing the main character in this. It's a movie that I'm really excited for that I think sounds pretty cool. So go ahead and put that on your list, ladies and gents. Absolutely. There's a lot of other great movies coming out this fall. If you've got a weather eye out, uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon is coming out pretty soon. It's going to be an exciting fall We'll be sure to bring you all the info you need on the movies that are going to be in this year's Oscar race. I'm really excited for it. I think it's already shaping up to be a fantastic year, Uh, not just for the Oscars, but for movies in general, but especially for the Oscars, because they're definitely going to be able to nominate some movies that people have seen, which is going to be great for them. Good on them. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. We're going to be back next week with another brand new, exciting, amazing episode of insightful film criticism for your listening delight. So we hope you have a great week in the meantime, and we'll see you back here next week.